And uh, so if you're new today, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor. And you're joining us as we uh, just started a new series last week, Answers to Life's Greatest Questions. Last week, we asked the question, is God real? And we discovered through Jesus that, yes, God is real. And he came to reveal God to us. And once you've established the reality of God's existence, one of the other questions that comes to mind is, does God love me? If God is real, how does he feel about me? And that's what we want to talk about today, the question, does God love me? And we want to leverage not what the opinions of people are, but what does Jesus say about this fundamental question? So today I'm going to take you to the New Testament Gospel of Luke chapter 15. You may want to open up your copy of God's Word or turn it on to Luke chapter 15. And you may say, what part of Luke chapter 15? Uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to do the whole chapter, 32 verses. You got your seatbelts on? You're hanging on? You're ready to go? We got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, we're talking today about God's love. I remember the story I heard years ago about a, a grandmother who was talking with uh, her granddaughter on the front porch of the grandmother's home. And as the grandmother and the daughter, granddaughter were rocking in their chairs, the topic of, of a black sheep in the family came up. And the granddaughter said, Granny, he is no good. He's untrustworthy. He lies all the time. He's just no good. He's bad. And Granny, as she rocked in her chair, said, Well, honey, you're right. I mean, he has caused a lot of trouble. But you know, Jesus loves him. And the daughter, granddaughter said, I don't know about that, Granny. I just don't know if Jesus can love somebody like that. And Granny rocked in her chair and she said, Honey, Jesus loves him. Now, of course, Jesus don't know him like we do. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever felt that about someone else? How could God love that person? I'll tell you what I have felt is how could God love me? Uh, if Jesus loves me, which is what people tell me, then he must not know me as well as uh, I think he does. Because if you know me, how could he love me? And maybe you felt that way before. How could God love me? After the mistakes I've made, after the failures of my life, after the struggles that I have that are ongoing, how could God love me? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells stories. He actually tells one big grand story with three movements to it. And he gives these parables to illustrate the heart of God the Father for his children who have gone astray. And you're familiar with these stories. Uh, you're familiar with the story of the lost sheep. You're familiar with the story of the lost coin. And most familiar with the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. Really, the prodigal sons. There were two in this story, as we'll discover today. And I want you to not only see yourself in this story, I want you to recognize that you are not the center of these stories. And I'm not the center of these stories. The center of these stories is really the heart of God the Father. He's the hero of the stories that Jesus tells. He's the one who has the heart that goes and seeks and to save those who are lost. And because Jesus hung out with sinners, he was revealing to them and revealing to us that God loves sinners and God rejoices when they repent of their sin and come home. So if you've already experienced God's love in that way, that God has received you as you've turned to him, then you know God loves you. And you need to never get over the fact that he loves you. But maybe there's somebody here today in this room or someone watching online and you are struggling with the question, does God really love me? 
I want to settle it once and for all through the authority of the words of Jesus himself that God loves you. Let's take our Bibles, Luke 15, and I want you to notice uh, as we begin in Luke 15, verse 1, I want you to notice the context in which Jesus tells these stories. Uh, it says in, in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. These are, these are the outcasts of Jesus' society. These are tax collectors, Jews working for the occupying force of Rome, collecting taxes from their fellow Jews and passing it on to their oppressors. So they were despised and defiled because of their contact with the Romans and Gentiles. And sinners, that's a catchphrase for all the other people who knew they didn't live up to all the standards of the Jewish law and the, the traditions of the Pharisees and the scribes. But you know who they were attracted to? They were attracted to Jesus. They're coming to him, drawing near to him. And the Bible says some people aren't happy about Jesus hanging out with these people. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man, can you hear their scorn? This man, can't even call him by his name. This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, in Jesus' day, the question was not, does God love sinners? The question was, why does Jesus hang out with them? Why is he hanging out with these people? And so Jesus tells the story as a result of this context of their grumbling about him hanging out with these kind of people. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. And, and it's a parable with three chapters, three movements. Uh, the first one is about a lost sheep. And every time I read this story about a lost sheep, I think about the initiative of love. How that we're lost and we have rebelled against God and we have strayed into our sin, but God loves us anyway and he takes the initiative to seek us. Long before we were looking for God, God came looking for us. Listen to the story. Luke 15 verse 4. Jesus says, What man of you? having a hundred sheep. If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Here's a key word, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is saying, why am I hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? Because God the Father loves them and rejoices when they turn from their sin and come home. And God has taken the initiative to seek after them Jesus says, sinners, they're just sheep who have gone astray. And God is the shepherd who leaves the 99 who are safe and sound, and he goes after that one that was lost. I don't know about you, but I don't have to use very much spiritual imagination to see myself in that story. I am that one lost sheep. I am the one who strayed from God, who rebelled against God, who rejected the voice of God, who went his own way. And the farther I went away, the worse things got, and I couldn't find my way back. But God came looking for me. God came with his love, and he took the initiative to rescue me. 
And Jesus is in this world on a rescue mission for sinners who have gone astray. Jesus says, you grumble about me hanging out with these kinds of people. These are the kind of people Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save. God takes the initiative of love. It's called grace. But Jesus isn't finished. He goes on. He gives another story. And he talks about a lost coin. A woman that's lost a coin. And here, whenever I read the story, I think about the intensity of love. Because in Jesus' story, this woman is intense. She's diligent. She's committed in finding that one lost coin. Look at Luke 15, verse 8. Jesus says, Or what woman? Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. This woman has lost one of her ten silver coins. That may not sound like much to you and me today, but in her day, that would have been representative of a whole day's work lost. The wages of a whole day's labor gone. And she knows she brought it home. She knows that she had it, but now she can't find it. She's got nine. And maybe you would say, well, I've got nine of the ten. I'm okay. No, you wouldn't. If you've ever lived paycheck to paycheck, you'll do what this woman did. She was diligent in turning her house upside down until she found it. This coin was lost. This coin wasn't husband lost. That's what my wife calls it, husband lost. It's whenever something's lost and I can't find it. And I tell her I've searched everywhere. And then she walks in the room and goes, it's right here. Well, I looked there. It wasn't there a minute ago. No, it was really lost. No one could find it. She lights a candle and she searches under the furniture. She looks in every nook and cranny of her home until she finds it. Verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 9 says, And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Jesus says in verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you hear this recurring refrain? Rejoice, rejoices, Joy, more joy. And who is this one who's rejoicing? Who is this one whose heart is filled with joy? Who is this one who invites others to come and to celebrate his joy and to share in his joy? In none other than God in heaven. And he invites even the angels, join me in rejoicing that a sinner has repented and come home. So you Pharisees and scribes are grumbling but you've missed the heart of the Father because the Father rejoices when sinners come home. So Jesus tells this parable. He tells a story about a lost sheep and how God takes the initiative in his love. He tells the story about a lost coin, about the intensity of God's love. But then most famously, he tells the story of the lost son. We call it the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means reckless and it's a story, really, of two sons. And so listen to this story, because the story of the lost son speaks of the inclusion of God's love. That no matter who you are, no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how you've broken the heart of the Father, he still loves you. Here's Jesus' story about the lost son, verse 11. And he said, 
There was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me of the share of property that is coming to me. Wow, what a jerk this son is. I mean, think about what he's saying to his dad. When do you normally get an inheritance? It's after your loved one has passed on and they've left you in their will. And this son says to his father, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait. I want what's coming to me now. I want what you have. I don't want you. You give me what's coming to me, and I'll go my way. You go your way, and I won't ever have to deal with you again. I don't want you in my life. I don't want to live under your roof. I don't want to live by your rules. I am sick of you. I want out. I'm ready to get what's coming to me now, as if you were already dead to me. That's what he's saying. I'm going to tell you something. If one of my kids ever said to me, I'd be saying, let me get a big black X right across that wheel. You get nothing. Nothing. Can you think of anything more heartbreaking than for your child to say that to your face? I don't want you. I only want what you have coming to me. And the surprise of Jesus' story in verse 12 is how the father responds. Jesus says, and he, the father, divided his property between them. Between these two sons. Even though the son had broken the father's heart, the father gave him what he asked for. Oh, and by the way, sometimes God actually gives you what you ask for. Even though it's not best for you. Even though it's not his ideal for you. God says, okay, you don't want me? Fine. Try your life without me for a while. See how that works out. And that's what this father does. He gives the inheritance to his son, divides the property between them. Verse 13, not many days later, the son doesn't waste time. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. That word reckless is where we get the word prodigal from. He just wasted. He just lives life with no caution, with no concern. He parties like there's no tomorrow. He parties like it's 1999. That's a good throwback to you. I'm a child of the 80s. I'm sorry. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, because that day eventually comes, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Just so, when he runs out of money, a famine sweeps the land. And he has no way to feed himself. He has nothing. He has squandered it all. And he finds himself destitute in need. Oh, his friends, long gone. The son's friends were there for the party, but not for the poverty. When the going got tough, his friends got going. And some of you've got some friends just like that. As long as the beer's flowing, as long as the money is there, as long as you're the one footing the bill for the party, as long as you're the one participating in all the revelry, you've got a bunch of friends. But when all the fun and all the money and all the happiness dries up, you'll discover they were fair-weather friends all along. 
Verse 15 says, so he went, this Jewish boy went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Remember, it's a foreign country. It's not Israel. Who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. There again, that doesn't scandalize you or me if we're Gentiles in the 21st century. When I was a kid, my grandmother had a farm and she raised hogs. I was there when we slaughtered hogs. I was there to feed the hogs and to slop the hogs. That's just what a country boy does in South Georgia. But let me tell you something. If you were a good Jewish boy, that's the last place you'd want to find yourself. Verse 16 says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. He was this close to getting on his hands and knees and putting his face in the muck and the mire and the slop of these hogs because he was so hungry. He has hit the bottom. In verse 17, Jesus says in his story, listen to this phrase, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he had not been himself when he went to his father in anger and disrespect. He had not been himself whenever he was out recklessly spending everything he had, throwing caution to the wind, living up a party lifestyle. He was not really himself. Sin makes you think, do things and think things that are irrational. And you'll often look back on your sinful episodes and think, what was I thinking? How did I ever get myself in that position? How could I ever have stooped so low? How could I have ever broken her heart? How could I have ever done those things I said I would never do? That's what happened to him. He finally came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He said, What have I done? I rebelled against the Father who loves me, who provided for me, who cared for me, who wanted nothing but the best for me. What have I done that I have gotten myself in this position where I am starving? And that's what we do as sinners, and it's all of us. We rebel against the God who created us. We rebel against the God who gives us everything in life to enjoy. We rebel against the God who wants nothing but the best for us. We rebel against God and say, I don't want you in my life. I want to be God, not you. It's about me, not you. And we make a mess of our lives. But in grace, God lets us come to ourselves when we hit the bottom we get ready to come home. And he's got his speech prepared. He's got his speech prepared. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's what repentance is. When you stop making excuses and you call it what it is, I've sinned against you, Father. I've sinned against God. He says in verse 19, I'm in, his, in his rehearsed speech, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt what? Disgust, hatred, anger. No, that's what we feel about other people. But that's not how the father felt about his son. The father felt compassion. This is love put into action. That's what compassion is. And this father did something undignified for adult, elderly Jewish men in the first century. He ran. 
And he embraced him and kissed him, this nasty son who stunk like the pig sty. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then right in the middle of his rehearsed speech, the father cuts him off. Verse 23, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He cuts his son off from his rehearsed speech and he says, just a minute, servants, get the ring, put it on his finger. Indicated to everyone who sees him, he's the, my son. Get the best robe, put it on him. Put shoes on his feet. He's not a servant, he's my son. And you kill that fattened cat that we've been holding back, getting ready for a party. We've got a reason now to party. Don't you see what Jesus is teaching us about God the Father? He's teaching us that God the Father loves sinners. He's teaching us that God the Father is the one who takes the initiative of love and with intensity of love and even with the inclusion of love says, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, you can always come home. Come home and let's party. And they did, man. They began to celebrate. You can see all the servants scurrying about, getting the party ready. You can see the sun with that just shocked look on his face, relief and amazement. He can't believe what he's experiencing from his father. But Jesus isn't finished with his story. The Bible, uh, Jesus continues. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Felt like a spoiled brat, but that's just my idea. Look at verse 30. But when this son of yours, do you hear that? He can't even call his brother by his name. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Verse 31, the, he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's how Jesus ends his story. With the father talking to this second son, who didn't stray, he stayed. Who didn't rebel, he was religious. But he's angry at the grace of the Father and the 
inclusive nature of the Father's love. How could you love him? I can understand how you could love me. I'm good. How could you love him? He's not good. And the Father says, everything I've got is yours. I'm showing him the same grace I showed you. But it's right that we rejoice. Your brother was dead, but he's alive now to us. He was lost, but now he's found. Anyone with a heart that shares my compassion would rejoice in this moment. And your attitude shows you don't know me as your father at all. That's why it is so sad in some churches. Thank the Lord our church is not like this. But in some churches, there's this animosity towards those new people. Joining our church and getting saved and baptized. And the church is changing things to reach new people. We've been here from the beginning. We've paid our tithes. We're the ones who built this church. They didn't do that for us. In the church I served, the nursery needed to be so remodeled. It was pitiful. It was so bad. It was a square little room with carpet glued to the floor with no padding, no window in the room, a single 60-watt light bulb in the center of the room, old toys that people didn't want, they would donate to the church. And out of sheer grace, I was expressing that to my dad one day, and my dad said, I'm sending my guy up there. He'll lay out a new plan for that nursery. It won't cost the church a dime. I'll take care of all the labor, all the material. And I went to my church thinking they were going to be thrilled. Woo! And in the business meeting, it got ugly. And I'll always remember one man standing up. If that nursery was good enough for our kids, it should be good enough for anybody else's. If it's not, they can go somewhere else. That's how this son is. He's not happy that his brother has come home and he reveals that he doesn't know anything about his father. And do you see who Jesus is referring to? He's referring to the Pharisees and the scribes who were the ones grumbling about Jesus, hanging out with these kinds of people. And even though they're religious, they are revealing they really don't know God the Father like they claim to know him. Because if they really knew the heart of God the Father, they would have been rejoicing that sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus and Jesus was extending saving grace to them. And you know, Jesus leaves this story open-ended. He doesn't tell us how the, the older son responds. I think it's because Jesus was giving the Pharisees the pen, the quill, saying, why don't you write the last chapter of this story? How do you want it to end? Will you stay outside the Father's love? Will you stay outside the party? Will you stay outside the, 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 the rejoicing that's going on because sinners are getting saved? Or will you get your heart right with the Father and recognize you too are a sinner? You too share the same grace of the Father. You too are included in his love. Come on in and have a party. And the same is true for us today. If we're Christians, if we're saved, if we're religious, or whatever term you want to use, if your heart is not broken over the lost condition of people far from God, you don't know much about God the Father. And if you can't rejoice when sinners get saved, you don't know much about God the Father. Can I tell you, whenever I hear people singing sometimes the loudest in these services, I'll look around the room, not because they're not singing well, but I'll look around the room to catch who is that person who's got their hands up. Not everybody does that. 
And that's okay, because we all worship differently, but sometimes I'll catch people, I'll see with their hands up, man, they're just praising God, or I'll hear them, they're singing as loud as they can, or I'll see them, and they can't even sing because they're sobbing. And sometimes when I look into their faces, as we sing about the grace of God, I know a little bit about their backstory, and I know the reason they're singing the loudest, the reason they're weeping, the reason their hands are up, is because they recognize how good God the Father has been to them, and loving them, and bringing them home And they are rejoicing in the Father's love. And sometimes I think we get over that, don't we? But Jesus says, even when you are too proud to acknowledge God's grace, he still loves you. And he includes you if you will just come into his grace. So what's the bottom line today? The bottom line is because God loves. God loves to seek and to save those who are lost. That's our Father in heaven. The answer to the question, does God love me, is yes. That's what Jesus tells us. That's why Jesus came, is because God loves you. And because God loves, God loves to seek and to save those who are lost. If you are lost, you don't have to stay lost. God took the initiative with intensity and inclusion, sending his son, Jesus, into the world, who lived a sinless life, And died on the cross as our substitute and sacrifice for sin. Not as a victim. Jesus died as a volunteer showing how much God the Father loves us. And Jesus rose from the dead on the third day to vindicate that he is the Son of God. And that if you will turn from your sin and put your trust in him, you too can be forgiven. You too can come home. You too can be restored as a son or a daughter of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ, our older brother. And the angels of heaven rejoice because God rejoices. You can come home. I don't care what you've done, how bad you've been. You can come home to God through faith in Christ. I'm going to lead us in a prayer that will help you do that today. Most of you have already done that. Most of you have already received Christ today. I want you to do a couple of things. First of all, I want you to just rejoice in God's love for you. Don't take it for granted. When everything else seems so uncertain in this world, there's something you can count on. God loves you. He has demonstrated he loves you and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But the second thing I'm going to ask all of us who are already followers of Jesus to do is not only rejoice in God's love for us, but to share his love with those who are far from God so they too can come home through faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for the words of Jesus, convincing us once and for all that the answer to the question, does God love me, is yes. Yes. And because God loves, he loves to seek and to save those who are lost. And through Jesus Christ, we can be found, we can be saved, we can be restored. And I pray that whoever that is today in this room or watching online today that needs to come home, I pray that this will be the day for them. That they will say to you, dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner, but I thank you for loving me anyway in spite of my sin. And you sent Jesus into this world to do what I couldn't do. He lived a perfect life, but he also gave that life for me when he died on the cross of Calvary. And he rose from the dead and he promises, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And today, Jesus, I want to be saved from my sins, saved from hell, saved from a life of lostness. I put my faith in you. Dear God, forgive me of my sin as I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I receive your gift of love and eternal life and forgiveness. Help me now to learn more about you and by your grace and through your Holy Spirit to to live for you, to go public with my love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.